Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. So, so last Sunday, um, we talked a little bit out of Luke chapter 4, and there's this, there's this growing sense that God is inviting us into something new and something fresh. We talked about Jesus crossing over the Jordan, kind of out of the place of wandering into the place of wonder, out of the place of wilderness, into the place of promise, because it was time for him to engage on a mission that God had preordained for him. Jesus stood up and he begins to quote Isaiah 61, says the spirit of God is on me for a purpose. And and we talked together about how there is this sense that God is posturing or positioning us the same way to be agents of, of restoration and rebuilding. And I had such an honest conversation with someone after service that was I was so grateful for, who was just really honest and said, John, I don't, I don't know that I'm there yet. I mean, like, you're, you're getting us all hyped, and I just, I'm, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm still kind of processing my own stuff. And, and if that's where you are, that's where we all are. There's, there's this invitation sometimes, though, for Jesus to lead us in the midst of our stuff. And so I want to talk to you about Four things in this new series called First Things First. Four things that we can give our time and attention to that will position us so when the Holy Spirit begins to speak and to lead and direct, we're ready and we feel like we're able to jump in and do it. The the first thing I want to call your attention to this morning is is we're going to talk about the Word. Um, I have not always liked reading my Bible. Oh! I haven't. Um, as a matter of fact, as a kid growing up in a, in a pastor's family, um, I knew there was an expectation that I would kind of read the Bible, but I would look at this and go, I can't do all that. Anybody else ever look at the Bible like, yeah, I can't do that? That's just too much. I had a flawed perspective on the Bible, not because of what I was taught, but because of some things I assumed. But I also knew as a pastor's kid that that it was pretty important that when people People looked at my Bible. It looked well read. We met in a high school, and there was a cafeteria. Sorry, Mom. I, I would get there early with my parents before anyone was there, and because I, like my dad's Bible looked really scuffed and well-worn, and, and so I would take my brown leather Bible uh, into the cafeteria, and I would throw it across the floor as hard and as far as I could because the floor was kind of dirty and gritty and it would get kind of scuffed up and then it would slam up against the wall so the spine would kind of loosen a little bit. Look like that young man is reading the word. No, that young man was almost losing it uh, underneath the vending machines in the cafeteria. My perspective on the Bible is completely different now and that's what I want to share with you. Because it is so pivotal to where God is taking us. Now, this is going to feel a little bit for you probably like going to school. I don't have a lot of funny stories and I don't have a lot of jokes. I've got a lot of passion and I've got a lot of information. But even with all the information I'm going to share with you this morning, we don't have time for me to cover all that you might want to know. So there is, at the bottom of your bulletin, there are a couple of resources. Um, the Bible Project and a, and a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, verdict by by James McDowell, if, if you want to dig into your own study, those are two places where, where you can do it. But I want, to, I want to share with you some things I've learned, and this is why. How you see the Bible determines how you see the world, and how you see your place 
in it. If your perspective on the Bible is what mine was as a young man, there are a lot of rules in here that I can't follow. There are a lot of words that I don't understand. And every time I read it, I just find out something I'm not doing right. That's going to break your heart, make you feel guilty. You will start and then you will stop and then you'll feel guilty. And then, then you get to the first of the year, the pastor will talk about the Bible and you'll start and then you'll stop and then you'll feel guilty. But this is not a book of rules and regulations. This, this is the story of Jesus and his mission. The Bible opens with Jesus at creation. And it closes with Jesus at the wedding feast of the Lamb and the promise that he is going to return. It's not, a, it's not a book of do's and don'ts, and it's not a playbook for a happy life. Although it contains both of those. It is so very much more. Scripture from start to finish is telling us a story, and Jesus is the center of that story. The Bible breaks down into three main parts. You have the story leading up to Jesus. What's that? The Old Testament. You have the story of Jesus. What's that? The Gospels. You have instruction in how to live out the mission of Jesus. What's that? The rest of the New Testament. But if you don't see Jesus as the center of the story, you aren't going to understand it correctly. Because the Bible points to what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will yet do in the person of Jesus. And so when I read the Bible, whether I'm getting to my do's or my don'ts, my my correction or my encouragement, I need to understand that this is part of a broader story that I am being invited into. And so what I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning is how the Bible came to be. How did we get it? The, the, Bible, the Bible didn't drop out of heaven. There wasn't a kind of a shepherd in Israel walking around one day and then, hey, there's a Bible. It didn't, it didn't happen that way. Nor did any group of people get together in a back room one day and said, hey, do you know what we should do? We should write the Bible. That's a good idea. You take the old stuff, I'll take the new stuff, and we'll write a Bible together. That's not how it came to be. The Bible came to be out of the mission of God at work in the world. God was doing something, or God was about to do something in the world, and people began to write about it. It actually arose out of the history of God's people as they looked at how he was working and anticipated how he was going to work next. It's an, or, it's an organic document that, that was written out of the experiences of God's people often as they were experiencing them. God inspired men to write as they wrote their own story. There was this partnership between the Holy Spirit and and men who were sitting to write. Why were men writing? Because women weren't able to write at that point. God spoke to men and through men in a way that was divinely inspired. I'll explain that word inspired in a minute. But this is, this is the testimony of Scripture itself. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture, say all. All of it. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Wait a minute, John. You, you, you just said it wasn't a book of do's and don'ts. Let, let me get to that in a second. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, teaches us to do what is right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This work of preparation that God is doing as he teaches us to do what is right and points out what is wrong is so that we might join Jesus in his mission that began before Genesis but is recorded in Genesis and goes all the way through Scripture. Paul is giving us the, here's what it means and here's what it looks like to live as a people of God. Why? So we can be holy and perfect? No. Holy is good. Perfect is impossible. But he is teaching us how the people of God on mission with Jesus live. You can't separate Paul's instruction from God's invitation to join him on mission. This is what has changed my perspective on reading the Bible. I am not compartmentalized in my behavior. I am trying to figure out by the power of the Holy Spirit, how to align my, God, my will with God's will through the study of his word that I might do with him what I was created to do. Now, if you tell me there's a book that teaches that, I get pumped. I'm like, anybody else? I mean, does that sound like a good read? Like, holy cow, that's what it is? That's what it is. So Paul says all scripture is inspired. The word inspired means breathed. God breathed. God breathed on Adam. He came to life. God breathed life into his word. So to say that the Bible is inspired means that God moved specific writers at specific times in a specific way to communicate a specific message as they wrote about what was going on in the world and around them. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 1.20. Above all, he says... you. You have to realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. What does that mean? People didn't make it up. Those prophets were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Now, let's, let's, let's dig in a little bit about where, where the Bible came from. So the Bible was written over about a, a period of about 1,500 years. It took about 1,000 years to write the Old Testament. Um, there were about 400 years where, where there's no communication from God recorded at all. And then almost the entirety of the New Testament was written between 50 and 100 A.D. It was written by 40 different authors in three different languages on three different continents over those 1,500 years. People from all walks of life, kings, prophets, doctors, servants, tax collectors, poets, and yet Three languages, three continents, 40 authors, 1,500 years, one continuous theme, the story of Jesus and the mission of God to redeem his creation. I can show it to you in every single book of the Bible. When you read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you realize that the Bible isn't trying to call attention to itself. It's trying to call it your attention to the person and the mission of Jesus. The Old Testament, I said, was written over approximately 1,000 years. And it, it, it began to be assembled as a Bible. The word Bible, by the way, means collection of books. That's why if your Bible says what my Bible is like, on the, on the back it says Holy Bible because it's the holy collection of books. About 150, 160 B.C., the, the, the Hebrew collection, the collection of the Hebrew Bible was, was complete. Uh, it was started about 1000 BC. What took so long? 
it was still being written. Now, in order to be considered part of the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew collection of books, which is our Old Testament, four things had to be true of a document, of a book. One, it held to the theology of the Torah. Now, the Torah is the first five books of our Old Testament. It's the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And in the hierarchy of Hebrew religious literature, Torah is actually held above the other books. So Torah was the measuring stick, one of the measuring sticks that these other books were held up against. If it did not agree with Torah, it wasn't accepted as inspired. Second was that it was considered divinely inspired throughout history. Um, Betty Lou from Timbuktu uh, didn't write a book and say, hey, guys, I think we should throw this in the Hebrew Bible. There was a consensus among the people of God, the Hebrew people, that this book had been inspired from the moment it was written, and that, that understanding of inspiration carried on throughout their history together. Third was that it had, it, uh, had widespread use. Um, you know from your study of Old Testament history that there were um, multiple diasporas or movements where, where Hebrew people were sent all over the world, and yet wherever you went, in any synagogue, in any, any, any gathering, these were the books that you would find. There was the people of God themselves kind of self-selected throughout their history. Um, there was a uniformity of understanding in what books belonged in the Hebrew Bible. And the fourth was simply that it was written in Hebrew, okay? So these, this, this is the Old Testament that you and I have. Our Old Testament is the current Hebrew Bible. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. If you ever wonder why should I read the Old Testament, one, it points to Jesus. Two, it was his Bible. He, he thought it was pretty important. Now, the Hebrew Bible, this is fire hose, I know, but I'm going to get, there's, there's a point coming in just a second. The Hebrew Bible was organized in three primary categories uh, called, it, it you don't need to know this, it's the Tanakh, which is an acronym for these three sections. The first, we've already said, is the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, what we sometimes call the Pentateuch, the, the writings of Moses. The second was the prophets. The prophets contain the 17 minor and major prophets. And then you have what's the, called the writings. The writings is the historical literature, the wisdom literature, and the poetry. So this, this is what was Jesus' Bible. And this is what I am saying points to Jesus. And I would submit to you that Jesus himself taught that the Old Testament pointed to him. Let me show you. Do you remember the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24? There's these two guys walking around. Uh, They're walking down the street to a town called Emmaus, and Jesus shows up. He's like, walks along, hey, guys. But they don't recognize him. And Jesus is like, hey, what's up? You know, what's new? What are the happenings? And they look at him and go, are you insane? Like, have you not heard about this Jesus who, who uh, is a prophet we thought was the Messiah? Uh, he was crucified. Um, they're saying he raised from the dead. Are, are, do you seriously not know what's going on? And Jesus says to them in Luke 24, 25, how foolish you are. How long it takes you to believe all that the prophets said. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then receive his glory? Jesus explained to them, what was said about himself in all the scriptures, he began with Moses and the prophets. So Jesus is walking down the road with these two dudes and says, let me explain to you something about the Messiah. He can't take them to the New Testament, can't take them to Paul, hasn't been written yet. So he explains from, from the Torah and from the writings of the prophets 
that Jesus was to come, that the Messiah actually had to suffer. And then, you know, he wants to go on. They say, no, stick around. Let's have dinner. He breaks bread. They recognize him, and he disappears. Pretty cool story. Luke 24 goes on, and, and right after he's in Emmaus, he appears to the disciples in a room, and, and 24:44, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must come true. And he opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. The law of Moses, check the Torah. The prophets, check prophets. And the writings, the writings is the first, excuse me, the Psalms. The Psalms is the first section, first book in the section called the writings. So again, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament But what's interesting about this passage is that he not only explains what's happened to him, but he's pointing forward to things that haven't happened yet. He says, everything written about me must come true. Not has come true, but must come true. So the story of the Old Testament doesn't just point to the story of Jesus, but it points to the story of the mission of God. All right. Old Testament came about, took about a thousand years. Jesus, Jesus said, it's scripture. Jesus quoted it. The apostles quoted it. How did we get the New Testament? You, you doing okay? All right. Just want to make sure. I know it's a lot. It's a lot. Where did the New Testament come from? Again, like the Old Testament, Jesus, excuse me, God inspired men to write, and they wrote out of their own story and their own experiences. They they wrote in response to, to what was going on around them. Nobody set out to write the New Testament. James and John and, and Matthew and Luke and Paul and Peter and Jude, they didn't go, hey, guys, let's meet in Jerusalem. We're going to write the second half of the Bible. It never happened like that. They just There were things going on in the world, questions people had, stories that needed to be shared, and they sat and they wrote them independently of one another. And yet they wrote with an awareness that what they were writing was actually from God. Paul says in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, here's what I want you to know. The good news I preach to you does not come from human beings. No one gave it to me. No one taught it to me. Instead, I received it from Jesus Christ. He showed it to me. So as he is writing to the Galatian church in response to something that is happening in their community, as people are coming and they're teaching something other than what Jesus taught, Paul is saying, let me set you straight. Let me remind you, here's what you need to know. And he's saying, nobody taught this to me. I got this straight from God. And now I'm giving it to you. So the New Testament writers, they wrote for two primary reasons. The first was to tell and preserve the story of Jesus. And the second was to teach how to live out the story of Jesus. If, if you're doing the fill-ins today, this is like the easiest Sunday in the world. I think you've written Jesus five times. Because this is the story of Jesus. The story until Jesus, the story of Jesus, and how to live out the story of Jesus. Now, until 50 AD, there was no real reason for a written account of the Gospels. Why? Because there were a ton of eyewitnesses. And so if you wanted to know what happened, you just go talk to somebody who was there, and they could explain it to you. But as they grew older, 
there was a movement with some of these men to write what they had seen or what they had heard and pass it along in a written form. So the first thing that we have, the first section of the New Testament, we're calling the story of Jesus. It's, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Mark's gospel was written first. It was written approximately 50 to 55 AD, and it was written to the church in Rome. Now, at that point in time, 55 AD, who was the emperor? You don't have to know this. I'm going to tell you. Nero. And what was Nero known for? Being a super big jerk. Nero persecuted the church like next to nobody else. It's Nero who killed Paul and Nero who killed Peter. So Paul is executed right about this time. And so the Gospel of Mark is the first gospel it's written. It's written to a persecuted church in Rome. And if you read Mark, it's short, it's fast, it's hard-hitting. It's 16 verses on kind of the power and the sovereignty of God, his rule over creation. It also includes the fact that he was to be a suffering servant because they needed to understand that in their present experiences, but that it ends with his vindication through his resurrection. So why is Mark different a little bit than Matthew, Luke, and John? Because it was written to a different audience that was experiencing different things. Luke. Luke's gospel was was written probably commissioned by a, by a patron. In the ancient Near East, uh, sometimes someone with money who wanted a particular work written would, would pay or commission someone to write that work. This is how Luke came to be. We know that from Luke, the first four verses. He says, Many people have attempted to write about these things that have taken place. Reports of these things were handed down to us. There were people who saw these things for themselves from the beginning. They saw them and passed the word on. With this in mind, I have carefully looked into everything from the beginning. So I also decided to write down an orderly report of exactly what happened. I am doing this for you, most excellent Theophilus. I want you to know that the things you have been taught are true. Luke's audience, Mark's audience, Matthew's audience, they're all different. Now, Luke probably borrowed some from from Mark, as did Matthew. That's why the three of them are called the Synoptic Gospels. But Matthew, Matthew was writing to the Jews. That's why he includes the long genealogy leading up to Jesus. So if you ever read your Gospels and go, why are they all a little bit different? Well, they were all written to different people to explain different things and help them understand. So they are all true, but that's why there's a little bit of, that's why they're complementary. Um, still with me? So, yep, okay. Okay, so you got the story of Jesus. Then you've got, you've got the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts was also written by Luke. Theophilus is greeted by name in the beginning. Um, some have said that Theophilus may have been Paul's lawyer in Rome and that Luke was writing to explain not only the message Paul was teaching, but how Paul got to where he was, um, kind of like a legal brief that he would then use in Paul's defense. I don't know if that's true or not. Could be interesting if it is. What I do know about the book of Acts is it is the story of this Jesus movement and how it came about. It's almost like First uh, and Second Chronicles or First and Second Kings for the church, for the New Testament. It's the story of how the church came to be and how it, it moved around the world. The rest of, of the New Testament is what's called epistles, which is a fancy word that nobody uses anymore that means letters. The rest of the New Testament is letters that people wrote to other people. They wrote them to churches, and they were read, and then after they were read in that church, they were copied, and they were shared with other churches. 
And just like the Old Testament texts, many of them are addressing real life issues in real time. Paul in 1 Corinthians, guys, knock it off. You're acting like a bunch of knuckleheads. This is how God's people are supposed to live. Galatians, guys, stop thinking you have to be following Jewish law to be Christians. You don't. Philippians, I mean, every book has got a different focus because he's addressing a different topic. So Paul and these other other writers are, are answering questions or bringing clarity to these young churches as they're trying to live out the kingdom of God, the mission of God. Because in Matthew 28, Jesus said what? All authority has been given to me, now I'm sending you. Go out into all the world. They took it seriously. First 200 years, they went all over the world. And so these letters are to churches to help them become the people they were always intended to be, that they might do the things that God created them to do. And then they would share them. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 4.16, he says, guys, after this letter has been read to you, send it on. Be sure that you also read it to the church in Laodicea, and be sure that you read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul wrote a letter to Corinth and wrote a letter to Laodicea. They're 10 miles apart. He says, guys, Corinth, you read this letter and then give a copy to Laodicea. Laodicea, make sure that you guys get Corinth's letter and, and then let them read yours. Where is the letter to the Laodiceans? I don't know. We, we don't know. That's, that's been lost to history. But as I will show you in a moment, if it was critical for us to have it, we would still have it. But this was their practice, read and share. And it was acknowledged and affirmed by other apostles as well. So the church knew that this was the practice, and the apostles knew that this was the practice. Listen to Peter. Peter says this, uh, 2 Peter 3.15. He says, guys, remember that while our Lord is waiting patiently to return, people are being saved. Our dear brother Paul also wrote to you about this. God made him wise to write as he did. Paul writes the same way in all his letters. He speaks about what I have just told you. His letters include some things that are hard to understand. People who don't know better and aren't firm in the faith twist what he says. They twist other scriptures too, so they'll be destroyed. That's a nice little ending. Um, Don't mess with God's word or you're in deep trouble. Um, A couple of things here. One, Peter knows that Paul is writing letters and sending them out to other churches. Two, he says the wisdom that Paul is sharing in his letters comes from God. God made him wise to write. That's inspiration. Three, some things Paul says are hard to understand. Amen, entire book of Romans. I love, I mean, the humanity of the gospel and the scripture writers is present. Peter's like, man, Paul is just, that bro's smart. And I'm a fisherman. I got no idea what he's talking about. I just, you don't write up, never mind. And then he says, people who don't know better and aren't firm in the faith twist what he says. They twist the other scriptures too. What other scriptures? The Hebrew Bible. So Peter is putting Paul's letters alongside the Hebrew Bible, Jesus' Bible, in terms of authority. And he's saying what we are doing, what Paul is writing about, what the church is engaged in now, is a new work of God that continues that Old Testament story. The story of the mission of God in Jesus. So it leaves us with this question. If the apostles didn't realize they were writing the Bible, and they did not, how do we get the Bible? Remember, Bible means 
collection of books. How did we get this collection of books? This collection of books, your Holy Bible, is what is commonly referred to as the canon of Scripture. Canon is the English pronunciation of a Greek word that means measure, list, or rule. How did we get a group of texts that are agreed upon as belonging together as the inspired word of God? We had the Old Testament. That was settled. Nobody disagrees. And we've got the stories about Jesus, and there were more than just the four Gospels. And there were more letters than the letters we have in, the, in, in our New Testament. How do we know it's these? And this, this is where I don't have time to, to fully unpack all of it, but let me, let me just give you a kind of a snapshot. When Jesus said, go into all the world, as I said a minute ago, the church took him seriously, and they did. They sent missionaries everywhere. And within 200 years, the, the church existed all over the world. Went from 120 people to untold thousands in just two centuries. And missionaries would take copies of these letters. And there, it, was, it was so prolific, so important, that, that four major copy centers uh, emerged in, in the ancient Near East. Um, these are like classic kinkos. If you don't know what a kinko is, ask somebody with gray hair. It's a thing. Um, there was one in Alexandria, which is the capital, was the capital of Egypt. There's one in Antioch uh, in Turkey. There was one in Rome and in Asia Minor, which is, is Western Asia. And so these letters would go out, and, and so there was this group of people that were copying them. They were sending them out. Now, for the first couple of centuries, there was no need for a, for a common canon, for a, a formal canon. There was no need for a group of people to put a list together and say, it is these. But also in those 200 years, there were these heretical sects, um, cults, groups that took part of the Holy Scriptures and part of other writings or wrote their own and tried to bring them together. And so in 300 AD, there was a council that came together and crafted a list, a definitive list that says this is the canon of Holy Scriptures. But what you need to know and what I need to know and what people will not often tell you is they didn't make up that list. What they did is they formally recognized what the church was already doing. The church had already collected, already agreed upon particular letters that they saw as inspired by God. So there was never a moment in time, regardless of what the History Channel says, that a bunch of guys in white beards in a secret room got together and said, hey, what do we want in and what do we want out? Didn't happen. It's, it's a fallacy. And if anyone ever says that to you, they are flying in the face of history and archaeology. In other words, they're making stuff up. They don't know. This group simply said, what has the church already identified as holy texts? Through four different tests. Test is not a great word, but it's the word I got. These books are already the common practice of the church. They're telling rightly the story that the Bible is telling. And we know that because they answer yes to these four things. One, early dating. They were written 
early. Now, you might go 50 AD, not really early. 100 AD is not really early. Let me tell you, in, in ancient literature, that's really early. And one of the reasons this is so important is that these works were written in the presence of hostile witnesses. There were people still alive that, that when Luke is writing Acts and he tells the story of Stephen, if it didn't happen that way, they're like, oh, heck to the no. It did not happen that way. But they were close enough to the story of Jesus to represent it accurately. And they were writing early enough that if they were trying to lie about it, they would have been called to account by people who were hostile to the gospel. The second test is whether or not they were of apostolic origin, meaning were the authors who were writing closely connected to the original circle around Jesus. And by that, they meant the disciples or Paul. Well, well, wait a minute, John. You, you just told us Luke wrote two books. Luke was not a disciple. No, but Luke was a constant companion of Paul. Mark, Mark wasn't a disciple, and yet he wrote a gospel. Mark was a constant companion of Peter. So is there proximity to an apostolic representative with a person who writes? Four, third, authoritative recognition. Two big words that simply means was this book wildly, widely circulated and recognized, accepted by the church as inspired? And four, was it doctrinally sound? Were there any contradictions in this book to accepted teachings of Jesus or the other apostles? How does that book line up? Does it fit with the rest of the story of God? If you've got 36 books that all tell the same story and one book talking about how we are descended from apes, that book probably doesn't line up with sound doctrine that says we're made in the image of God. So if the answer to any of these four, early dating, apostolic origin, authoritative recognition, or doctrinally sound, if the answer to any of those was no, then the early church rejected this out of hand. There are other letters written. There is other ancient literature that the church has simply said no to. Listen to this quote. Many people think the books of the Bible are authoritative because they're included in the Bible. I'll say it to you again. Many people think the books of the Bible are authoritative because they're included in the Bible. The historical truth is the opposite. They are included in the Bible because they are considered authoritative. The books you have in your Bible are the books that were recognized by the church as being the inspired word of God before anybody ever wrote anything down as a comprehensive list. Well, John, what, what about, you know, I was on the History Channel the other day, and, and uh, I heard about the lost books of the Bible. Every, every once in a while, the History Channel does this. Uh, National Geographic will do this too. Um, or some author will come up and go, we found the lost books of the Bible hidden for 1,800 years and discovered in the sands of Egypt. You ever, you ever seen one of those? There actually was one about lost books of the Bible discovered in the sands of Egypt. Let me tell you what happened. Um, there was a sect, S-E-C-T, uh, down in Egypt that broke away from the teachings of the universal church. They began to write things that were heretical, and so they wrote some of their own documents, some of their own texts. And those texts were, in fact, lost in the sands of time for about 1,800 years. Do you know why? Because they were not circulated all over the world by the early church because they were not considered inspired, nor were they considered authoritative. If something has been missing, 
It's because nobody was reading it. You don't lose things that you are reading. Well, sometimes, but that's just because I'm getting old. So these books that are suddenly found, the early church knew about them. They just rejected them out of hand. That's, that's why they were not included in the canon of Scripture that you now have. The need for canonization, the need for collecting Scripture, did not come from a need to decide which books were inspired. It came about simply to protect the church from heresy. You still tracking with me? Good, because I'm pretty much done. What I want to talk to you about next week, which I'm super pumped for, is how we engage this story to find our place in it. I don't want you to feel like you have to read God's word every day at 6 a.m. to make God happy. I want to show you how engaging God's word on the regular is going to make your life more meaningful. And if you were down for a more meaningful life, more engagement with the Holy Spirit, with walking into what you were designed and created to be, don't miss next week. We're actually going to spend, I'm trying to see my calendar in my head, a lot of this year, how's that, uh, through a number of different teaching series, talking about what it means to be engaged on mission with God, why we are here. It, I you got another hour because I'm going to roll up my sleeves here. I am so excited about what I get to talk to you about this year. I believe that you've been here, you've been placed here strategically at this time in this community by God himself for a specific purpose. And this year we're going to figure out what that sucker is so that we can walk in it. I mean, God's got some amazing stuff in store for you. I don't want you to miss it. And it begins by putting first things first, the Bible, prayer, worship, and service. But I'm going to bring these to you, I hope, in a way that is liberating and exciting, not burdensome. Jesus said, take my yoke upon me, you. The yoke is another word for Torah. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When you, when you find yourself in this story and you align yourself with its teaching as you engage on the journey, it is light and it brings rest to your soul. Because you are finding yourself doing what you were created to do, which is freaking awesome. Can I say freaking? I can say freaking, right? Okay. It's freaking awesome. Stand with me. Let's pray. I kept you too long, but I hope you forgive me. Thanks for letting me kind of ramble and take in the fire hose. Oh, Jesus, you are good. And you are up to amazing things. God, we are a part. We've been invited into your story. And you have, have freed us from the things that disqualified us from that story through your death and resurrection. And we are so incredibly grateful. God, I ask that in the days ahead, there would come just this hunger, this excitement, this passion of, for discovery of your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher, our instructor, our coach, and our encourager to bring to life the things that we read. You are a great God doing great things among a great people, and we are grateful. We love you. We want to follow you. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.